You're listening to a Metro podcast. You're listening to Metropolis, Metro's podcast about urban affairs and life in Canadian cities. I'm Luke Simcoe. I'm the communications director at Urban and Digital here in Toronto and a uh, former journalist here at Metro. And I'm joined uh, with my constant co-host and companion, Matt Elliott. <laughs> I am the constant. That yeah. is true. Uh, we got a big show for you this week, as we always do. We're recording this on Groundhog Day, so happy Groundhog Day to do we know you, what, Luke. Do we know what happened? There's like a million groundhogs in okay. holes all over the place these days. So some of them. We should have done shadows. a national like cross <laughs> like a country groundhog groundhogs. roundup. Yeah, right? yeah. But I, I think uh, maybe the winter will be short. I don't know. It's a, it's a rodent in the ground. It's not a meteorologist. Um, good show. Not going to talk about Groundhog Day anymore uh, this week. Uh, we are going to talk about the big game. It's coming up, Luke. Everyone's really excited about it. The Clash of Titans. I'm speaking, of course, of municipal budget debates. Uh, it's a very exciting time for all of us. That's a great joke, but I'm sure this episode is going to air after the Super Bowl. Probably. So, like, <laughs> so um, if all of you listening just want to, you know, just, just cast your back mind time, back yeah. to, to that when it would have been really, really funny. Uh, here's what I know from Toronto about the city budget, which I follow kind of obsessively. Uh, the city is in a precarious position. It always is. Expenses for things like transit and housing are going up. Capital needs are not met. And yet revenues are not really rising at all to meet those expenses. And a quick glance at other city budgets uh, across Canada uh, show something pretty similar. So it's an issue that has led to many Canadian cities discussing new taxes, tolls, and fees, which are collectively bundled together and called revenue tools. Uh, that, in turn, has led to many politicians in a fit of populism rejecting those tools, which brings us right back to the original problem of cities being unable to afford things. It's a circle. It's a frustrating circle. To help us figure out how to break out of this circle, Luke and I are joined today by Tara Gillespie. She's a frequent commenter on city politics, a community manager, and was the creative director for Women in Toronto Politics. Hey, Tara. Hi. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you guys? You're excited to talk about budgets and city finances? Always. My favorite thing. (laughs) Awesome. So I know we all know why it's Matt's favorite thing, but why is is this your favorite thing? Like, why is this something that you're super into such that you want to come and sit around a table with the two of us and talk about (laughs) revenue tools, as the case may Um, be? So I actually didn't grow up in Toronto. I grew up in Innisfil, and my mom worked in the city planning office, which um, people are listening. You didn't see my air quotes because <laughs> Innisfil is like 30K people. So I kind of grew up around this stuff when I was a little kid. Uh, went to art school and pretended like I wasn't interested in politics for a little while and then got out of art school and got back interested in politics thanks to uh, Rob Ford. <laughs> Same for me, actually. Yeah. Well, that's really relevant, right? I've been using Rob Ford as the example all the time when you look at what's happening in the states, and you're like, mm-hmm. but sometimes like really good sort of community mobilizations come out of these sort of bad political moments, and hopefully, like the fact that you're still here, those kind of networks outlast, yeah, you know, the reasons that they formed in the first place. So I don't know. I that's my hopeful comment for the episode, <laughs> I guess. You're always an optimist, Luke. Um, yeah. So. Uh, I like to start with hypothetical games because uh, hypothetical realities are better than our actual reality right now (laughs) and also because they're fun. So 
to kick this off, to start talking about city finances, I want to pretend that we're all a mayor of a major Canadian city. Uh, we'll call it uh, Terraville and... <laughs> I like uh, it. <laughs> yeah, lake Simcoe um, is a real but, place. But it's a lake. Well, yeah, well, there's like a town on the edge of the lake. There's like several, the, yeah. including Innisville. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, so we're all mayors. We're all uh, in cities that are facing massive budget problems, like hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, we've got unmet needs for transit, housing, all kinds of things. Everything kind of sucks. We all need cash. So, uh, you know, you're in this position. What kind of new taxes, tolls, fees are you looking at implementing? Tara? Me first? Okay. Well, I guess it depends uh, how realistic you want me to be. If I'm a Toronto-type mayor who's constantly uh, re-campaigning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not going to tax anything and call it a tax, first right. of all. Um, I'll give it fun names. I won't do the vehicle registration tax, even though that would be great. And mm -hmm. other Canadian cities do it because people here are scared of it. Probably start looking at things like hotel taxes, since we have TIFF and we have a lot of sports that come in. Mm -hmm. um, things like entertainment taxes, again, TIFF sports. Yeah. Uh, we let people come into our city all the time and we don't really uh, tax them for it. Um, and then I just sort of take a look at that KPMG report that has <laughs> all those fun taxes in there that we could be using but currently don't. Yeah, we were talking about this before we went on the air and a few years ago in Toronto there was a report by KPMG that listed like every, or not every, but many, many potential taxes, tolls, fees that Toronto could implement it. And it's a fun thing to go back at and look at. None of them were implemented uh, after much, much debate, but it's, it's fun to consider what could have been. Luke, what are you thinking about? Mayor Luke. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> it's, I don't know, it's kind of a complicated question, obviously, right? Yeah. Um, but I like, I kind of like things that align with city building. Right? right, so I think, uh, which is a weird thing, because not not every city in Canada, uh, certainly not especially Toronto, um, and frankly everywhere else that I've traveled, you know, they don't come from a place of like a we decide what kind of city we want to build, and then b we set about creating policies that sort of create that kind of city. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. So, you know, I like parking levies because maybe we should be a city that you know relies less on cars ditto for like parking spaces and road tolls and these sorts of things I think ones that can align with a vision are ones that I kind of prefer but I'm actually also kind of a little curious because we talked about what Tara might do if she was like the mayor of Toronto and we have some of these sort of big things I'm actually kind of curious like what what do you do if you're the mayor of Innisfil Right? Like you don't have sports and well, entertainment and highways to toll and, you know, all these sorts of things. So what do you do? I was reading up on weird taxes uh, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> that have existed That's throughout a very history. normal thing to do. There is a town in Germany that <laughs> actually taxes cow flatulence, which is oh, a wow. thing, which could very much apply to Innisfil because it's mostly just farms and the, like the, a the, shopper's the, drug mart. The owners of the cows pay yeah. the tax, I would yeah. assume. Yeah, okay. not the cows. They <laughs> are only rolling in hay, not dollars. So. Right. <laughs> How do they measure that? I don't, I did not really want to look in too much. <laughs> I'll leave that up to you guys. That's dangerous but, uh, Googling. <laughs> wow. Uh, what about Mayor Matt? Mayor Matt, uh, I, I am a big fan of sales taxes. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, they have concerns and people will say they're regressive, which they are and can be. But uh, Tara sort of mentioned it. Like there is this idea that um, people come into the city for things like sports games or cultural events or whatever, and they spend their money. And if the city has a sales tax, then you are collecting some of that um, 
capturing some of that money that comes into the city and you can invest it into more of those things or infrastructure or whatever else. And I like it. I don't think a city should have really high sales tax. We're probably talking like 1%, 2% or whatever. But right now I look at a city like Toronto and there's this idea that, you know, we love things like TIFF and the Pride Parade and big events that bring lots of people in. But from a city hall perspective, those events don't make the city like there's no revenue associated with them. The city doesn't get anything directly out of them. The province does, the federal government does, but the city does not. And I think it would be interesting to live in a world where city politicians are incentivized to ha- hold big cultural events and have these things happen in the city and have them actually provide money that can be then reinvested into the city. So I'm always beating the drum for the sales tax. I like that you, you mentioned kind of um, – that you think it should be around like one or two percent? Because mm-hmm. I just did some googling. Nice. I, I know the like the example that everyone gives is New York has a sales tax and every other revenue tool and tax under <laughs> the sun. Um, right. But theirs is huge. It's four and a half percent. Wow. For a city sales tax. So like, I guess it's America. So their overall sales taxes are lower. Yeah. But yeah. So it's it's four point five percent New York City tax and then additional taxes on that they're bringing up to almost nine percent. So they're like yeah. the city sales tax is half of the sales tax I mean, in total. Clearly people stopped going to New York because of the sales <laughs> yeah, tax. That's yeah, right. no one goes yeah. to New York no. to buy anything. Yeah, it's, it's, a, no. it's a real ghost town these no, days. No, they don't, they don't drink there There's anymore. tumbleweeds because, in Times Square. Yeah. yeah. That's why Uniqlo's now up in here in Canada is because they couldn't hack <laughs> in New York anymore and they <laughs> yeah. had to find you know, a less a you more tax friendly yeah, environment. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we were talking before this, Tara, and I know you've been involved in some of these conversations online, but one of the things that a local councillor here in Toronto has been talking about is this, I need to put a gender equity into the city budget directly. Uh, it's an issue that a lot of straight white dude politicians seem blind to. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you explain to the straight white dudes what it means to put gender equity <laughs> Always, into the budget? This is my favorite thing to do, <laughs> um, educating straight white dudes. Uh, okay, but in all seriousness, uh, the gender equity lens by Chris and Wong Tam is super important because women experience the city in different ways. And the way we're spending money and how we prioritize spending money is kind of, um, for lack of a better word, bonkers. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, women tend to rely more on transit and on childcare, mm-hmm. um, and we're paying exorbitant amounts for that. The TTC fares keep on going up every year, uh, but we're not you know, able to do road tools and stuff like that. Uh, our women's shelters capacity and our men's shelters capacity actually are at 94% right now. Mm. Legally, they're supposed to be at less than 90. Um, and we have money to put billions into the gardener, but we don't have money to open more shelters mm-hmm. or to like have more subsidized childcare. It's just kind of ridiculous the way that straight white do politicians view spending money. I mean, you got the cert- certain counselors who will, I don't know, say send a picture of themselves flipping off the finger to certain reporters <laughs> when any tax is mentioned, but they're not there uh, advocating for the shelters and for other things. And they're there voting for like a $3 billion gardener thing to save commuters 30 seconds of travel time. We're definitely going to need to put that photo. Yeah. The- one of our city counselors flipping the bird into our show notes it's it's a good one fun fun <laughs> fun no i got uh one of our city councillors to come out of a brief twitter hibernation they were in by posting my own flipping 
them off photo back on the Twitter. Oh, nice. Which was, yeah. Fire good, with fire. Yeah. Gonna put it on my resume. Got him to come out of hiding. <laughs> Shouldn't it be your, like, profile photo? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but what, so that's that's interesting. That Like, what we just talked about was actually about spending, right? It's about mm-hmm. where we spend and how we spend and whether or not that sort of spending fair. Spending is fair and sort of equitable, um, when, especially when you factor in gender. But what is that? How do we bring that back to revenue? Well, right? we, like, what's a gender equity revenue lens. I mean, you look at uh, low-income TTC fair pricing is one thing, and you offset that by looking at where are we giving people cuts? I mean, I know Mike Layton just did a lot of great work on we were giving retail spaces uh, tax breaks if they couldn't rent, and it was being abused, and, you know, you had, like, really empty areas on Queen Street West, which is just, like, not great. Like, why why are they getting cuts while, like, low-income women are forced to pay more and more for the TTC? They're forced to choose between childcare um, or being able to work full-time because, in some cases, sending your kid to daycare costs more than sending them to university. Yeah, childcare is one of those issues that just gets nowhere near the attention that it should mm-hmm. from a lot of the people at City Hall and a lot of the media, too, is, is, is complicit in this as well. I mean, the waiting list for childcare in Toronto is like 19,000 people. Yeah. And yeah. For, for subsidized childcare in Toronto, is 19,000 people. That's huge. That's the, that's the, you know, the population of a small town, like mm-hmm. just waiting for affordable childcare. Um, but yeah, no, I think what you're saying is interesting because it is about sort of shifting you know, revenue sources, you know, um, one of the issues that I have is, and I think Luke, you wrote an article about this. There's this, there was this idea in planning circles. And I think it applies here too. Like what do they call the people who always tend to show up at planning meetings, the public consultations, the sort of, uh, rich white homeowner. Yeah. Type? It, was, it was rich white homeowners. They, yeah. There's something, I forget the, the stat, but it was like over two thirds of the people that were showing up to public planning consultations sort of fit in that. I've been in those. In, in that in That's that category. Fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's even just going off your point, making politics a little bit more accessible and having giving people who are maybe more marginalized or more pressed for time more share of the voice and more direct access to their counselors and the planning department. Because I've definitely been on those meetings where I was the only person under the age of 70 <laughs> on a planning thing for a public mm. park. And I was the only person who didn't think that cyclists were murderers on that <laughs> planning walk. So. <laughs> Their view. <laughs> yeah. I, so, yeah, we need to make it more accessible so that those, those um, voices get heard. I know that there are a few places that are kind of going in a roundabout way. There's the women's shelter out in Etobicoke that did a really good consultation with their women that were in the shelter, and they put it into a written deputation into the city budget. So they didn't have to, you know, take time away from interviewing for jobs or taking care of their kids to, like, go to a public policy planning consultation that's filled with a whole bunch of rich retired yeah. homeowners with nothing better to do. It is it is a like the your point about accessibility and sort of accessing city hall I think is a really good one because you know you, to actually get some face time in front of a council committee these days and give a deputation in Toronto and I imagine it's similar all over is you have to be willing to set aside I don't know like 10 12 hours maybe mm-hmm. to sit and wait sometimes because you have no idea how the agenda is going to be structured in the end and when they're going to get to actually hearing from people so it is very hard to have that public voice and then I do think there's this something about sort of being a local politician where you have this idea of who your average sort of default constituent is and for a lot of them, in my experience, it's somebody who like owns a home and drives a car and makes you know a mid-level to high-level income, and that gets the priority in the city. 
So is that the solution? Is that what we're suggesting here, that if we want some of these revenue tools that we've been talking about and, and not getting, you know, is it a matter of simply opening it up to more voices? Because obviously that's great, right? No one's going to say that we shouldn't have broader and better consultation, but it's not like that's unique to Toronto, right? Every city politician thinks about property tax and property tax payers and drivers and all these kinds of things. And yet other cities uh, across North America have implemented all kinds of revenue tools. Like you tell me that like people in New York don't think about like, you know, their average constituent is, I guess, someone who owns a million dollar penthouse overlooking Central Park. (laughs) But, you know, you know what I mean, right? (laughs) Like, I think I think one of the unique Toronto things and maybe a unique Canadian thing is that um, like, why? Why are we making the decisions for those people? It's not necessarily because like counselors think that's everyone in their ward. They think that that's everyone who's going to vote for them in their ward. And they're scared of not getting reelected because we don't have terms and we don't have things like ranked ballots. And we have a lot of politicians who aren't actually governing. They're just constantly campaigning. If you take that element away or at least reduce it a little bit and they actually start making, you know, like they're not afraid that they're going to lose their seat because, you know, it's going to be up anyways. Maybe they'll start looking a little bit uh, more at equity and rather than furthering their career. But again, like, how do we get, how do we change, how do you think we change sort of the discourse to get those revenue tools? Because again, that's not different, right? You, like, every single city politician wants to get reelected. Most places don't have terms or they have, you know, longer terms. Like, we're not, you know, we're not incredibly unique in that regard. So I'm just kind of curious, like, what you think, how, how do we how do we change the messaging around sort of revenue tools to actually get them implemented because other places have. Yeah, I mean, I think there's also a responsibility on politicians to um, be not afraid to educate a little bit and for Toronto in general to want to talk about uh, politics the way and how things work, the way we talk about sports or the Kardashians, which are both great things to talk about. Absolutely. Uh, Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Um, But... You know, one example I found in the 2014 election was there was a lot of talk about homeowners or taxpayers, and that was really code for homeowners. And, you know, homeowners thinking that they have more rights than renters because they pay property tax when, you know, renters also pay property tax. They actually pay disproportionate amount of property tax. So you can't really use that as an argument. But if you're not equipped with that information and we don't make that information accessible and exciting, you're not going to know those things and you're not going to know how it impacts you. So creating more of a culture around like finding politics exciting and not just when the Rob Fords are around. I mean, yeah. if everyone was as jazzed to sit down and read KPMG reports as I, <laughs> I mean, like that, that would be one thing. But um, not everyone has the time to do that. I have a lot of luxury of time and access to those resources. So making those types of tools a little bit more transparent and accessible in communities and fun to talk about, I think is one step that would lead politicians to getting a lot more pushback from people. So how do we make revenue tools fun and cool? I think we make them like really Instagrammable yeah. is my <laughs> current thing. I mean, like if everyone who like came to the Women's March and posted a selfie, there were 60,000 people. If like half of those people were like also like Instagramming really cool spreadsheets, I mean, <laughs> it'd be more of a conversation. Oh, if, you're, like, you're talking math language. Yeah, that would be very If cool. I had like a cool like green smoothie beside like revenue options and I posted that and was like, <laughs> hey, you know, hashtag sales tax. Like, maybe we could. And I'm not, I'm a community manager. I'm saying that in, like, all seriousness. I'm not making fun of social media, like, at all. No, there's got to be, like, some sort of, like, Snapchat filter that we could impose on this. Yeah. uh, My face looks baffled right now. 
um, well, so okay, so cool revenue tool. So like you mentioned, you were doing research on like interesting ways that other cities around the world have have raised revenue. Like frankly, like the cow fart tax might actually be like a way to get more people talking about you know yeah. these things, and then sort of seeing them as. It's kind of more broadening their understanding of these things because I think we tend to think of them in, in really narrow ways. Their fees, yeah. their taxes, you know. But so what else? Yeah. So I don't know. Like wow me. Like what other I cool mean, stuff are people doing? I guess my definition relatively of cool. cool. Yeah. <laughs> different. But I think uh, I think Toronto also has a problem of looking at itself too much and not putting it into context with cities around Canada, <laughs> cities in North America, like cities next door. I mean, like the vehicle registration tax when people are freaking out about that. I mean, Montreal does that. All Quebec, pretty much, yeah. has a vehicle registration tax, and they put that towards transit. It's not yeah. unheard of. It's not like this pie-in-the-sky thing. And you talk about, like, amusement taxes and stuff, and people start freaking out. Uh, Regina has had one for 80 years. Like, we're doing it. We're doing it in other cities across Canada. Why can't we do it in Toronto? Why can't we just, like, look at other cities for inspiration in what we're doing? What does the entertainment tax in Regina look like? Um, they're only using it for movie theaters right now, which is weird. They used to do it on, uh, on like, sports games and stuff as well. It's interesting, though. Um, we would probably have to do, like, the reverse in Toronto because in the KPMG report <laughs> that I'm just, like, shamelessly plugging. <laughs> they did mention, like, people might, like, if it was on movie theaters specifically, people might just, like, go to Mississauga or go to Brampton or go, like, just slightly outside the city to go to their movies. So things like sporting events yeah. or things like an alcohol, 1% alcohol sales tax on bars when people are already down here. You're not going to be sitting in a bar and you're a captive audience like watching the game on TV and yeah. be like, 1% on this beer. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm going like, to Mississauga. <laughs> yeah. There's five movie theaters in Regina. Sorry, I just, I, I've, yeah. I've been Googling this episode. So. Can you find <laughs> yeah, that, that like that worthy enough yeah. to get like, te- I forget what the percentage is, but they, they actually use that as, like, a tax uh, thing, and they put it towards, I believe they put it towards the arts and strengthening the arts there. Yeah, that's cool. That's very similar to, like, in Toronto, there's a tax on billboards, and it mm-hmm. goes towards funding the arts. And I have always thought that's just, like, a genius idea because there's it's, like, win-win all around, right? Like, worst-case scenario, the billboard companies decide that the tax is way too onerous, and they stop buying billboards. Then it's like, oh, no, we have no more billboards in Toronto. Awful. You know, other scenario, they keep buying billboards. We have money for the arts. Like, it's it's great. The only people who lose are billboard manufacturers, and I am fine with that. <laughs> Wither the poor billboard manufacturer. <laughs> um, I'm actually surprised Regina doesn't do more around sports. Uh, have, you, have, you, have there been to Regina ever? No. no. So Regina is where the Rough Riders play in Saskatchewan, and... It's crazy there during Rough Riders games. Like the whole province descends upon Regina and goes and watches football and like tailgate parties and all this kind of stuff. It's truly one of like, if you're into fandom for sports, it's actually really fascinating and really intense. And there seems to be that that could be an opportunity there to generate a little bit of revenue, you know, overall <laughs> for the city. Because again, it's like, it's a huge tax on their infrastructure. Like every couple of weeks, thousands upon thousands of people move through the city and it's not a big place right so you know it's kind of it's certainly interesting yeah no uh, absolutely though i do think it's interesting like the vehicle registration tax that the tara's been referencing which is dearly departed here in toronto it was five dollars a month if you owned a car basically 60 bucks a year that you would pay to the city uh, and that theoretically would go towards roads and other such infrastructure and that's was made a lot of sense but 
it's interesting because there's like two sides of taxes. There's like the does this have any negative economic impacts, which that tax did not. They looked at it. They said this mm-hmm. is not really changing anybody's behavior. It's just leading to more revenue. Then there's like that personal side of it. I remember the debate where they got rid of the vehicle registration tax. And seriously, one of the points that came up in favor of getting rid of it is because it was like an annual tax that coincided with your car registration, which is usually tied to your birthday. They sort of said people didn't like it because we were charging them money on their birthday. Oh, no. Yeah. Poor <laughs> like, car owners. I'm so sorry. I know. But this is like a legitimate <laughs> argument advanced in a council chamber well, for why we should Isn't the tax. solution then to just change? Change the date. Yeah, yeah. right. Like, <laughs> that yeah, would probably have been I mean, easier. For anyone who was following the Gardner thing last, last summer, uh, there was a time where I actually had to tune out and just shut my laptop because, mm-hmm. you know, you have you have counselors uh, with a lot of power who think that they know a lot of things. You had, I believe it was, um, I may be wrong, but I think it was Jimmy K was questioning Keysmat about like, oh, have you looked at a tunnel option? And she's trying to explain, okay, well, for a tunnel, you need one kilometer to go down, one kilometer across, and one kilometer to go up. Mm-hmm. We... This this stretch <laughs> is like one kilometer in and of itself. Yeah, and he goes, okay, but did you look at the tunnel? <laughs> like, and he just questioned her and berated her, and it's like, okay, yeah. basic math, physics, logistics. Yeah. Like, why are we spending our time in council yeah. talking about this? Why, Chief Planner of Toronto, can you not bend time and space to make this hypothetical work out for me? A yeah. city politician. Are, yeah. there, are there other examples like the billboard one? Because like maybe that's what we we need. Like the 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 revenue tools that you just can't disagree with, right? Right, because no one, no, no one who Can is we like a voter just who tax yeah. all man spreaders on the TTC. <laughs> like, anyways, sorry, no, sorry, men, not all men. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, worst case scenario, they take up less space. I kind of see it like it could be like a garbage tag situation where you like every. Eddie in the city gets like five of them we, every we, year. We tag the man's better yeah. and we throw them in the garbage. <laughs> well, no, the garbage no, is just, just like they, a... they just buy a tag that you know allows them to take up space on the TTC. You get that, five incidents a year, yeah, and then it's a big fine or yeah. something. Oh, man, spreaders are those dudes who it's like rush hour and they um. Sorry, I need to rephrase this so it's not too graphic. Uh, they just they just spread their legs, they spread their backpacks, they just take up too much space um, on the TTC. And I mean, if you want to take up space for like one and a half seats, be charged like one and a half times that. And I mean, I'm sure there are women who do this too, but it, it does tend to uh, to be more popular with with dudes. Yeah, <laughs> I would pay like a premium t- like transit fare if I could sit somewhere where my knees were capable of like fitting in the space between the seat in front of me and my seat. Mm. So yeah. that's what we should have like, although that's that kind of, that's kind of gross actually, like two-tiered public transit, like, yeah. Yeah. like yeah. economy this, class. Yeah, we like, already yeah. have that with the express buses in Etobicoke. Yeah, that's true. You pay double fares for those. Oh. Um, mm. Some of them anyway. Um yeah, no, it is it is interesting. Like I do love it when taxes like tax policy comes up and it is just so elegant that it like incentivizes good behavior and disincentivizes bad behavior. One of my favorite proposals for the vehicle registration tax we keep talking about uh, was that the annual cost of Toronto's vehicle registration tax should be linked to the monthly cost of a metro pass in the city. So uh, if one goes, if transit fares go up, then the vehicle registration fee goes up. And it's like this could be linked together forever. And you're sort of saying to people, okay, the cost of transit goes up, the cost of driving goes up. And I really like elegant things like that. Instead of the usual government thing where they introduce something and then they forget to index it to inflation. And then in like 
20 years. Oh, yeah, yeah inflation. Yeah. That's just... Sorry. That gets me mad. That because, was a heavy sigh about inflation. Well, because um, I don't think that that enters into the conversation enough because when we talk about, you know, decreasing, you know, spending, we don't talk about how the... Like, things are already inflating. So you're yeah. actually asking people to, like, double down on that. You're asking a shelter where prices have gone up 5% in a year per, like, let's just say it's 5% a year. And then you're asking them to also cut 2.6% from their budget. What you're actually asking is to cut 7.6% of their budget when they're already on a shoestring budget. So, yeah, just talking about inflation, speaking my language. <laughs> the inflation tangent. I, like... I don't know. Maybe it's the eternal optimist in me. <laughs> I feel like I, I go back and forth. Like, haven't I been the like the flagship pessimist on some episode? Or is yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Okay, no, cool. It sort of depends um, on how you're feeling before we start recording. I yeah, <laughs> I, I've I've had a sufficient enough caffeine and food today to <laughs> maintain a, a positive demeanor. Um, it seems kind of like we could make better use of sort of technology and data probably in planning our revenue tools, right? We tend to, I think, approach them really blanket, mm-hmm. you know? And we saw this in, in, to use yet another Toronto example, we saw this in the road tools debate. It was just going to be this flat fee that you paid to drive from here to here, yeah. right? And that like, seems to me like a bad way of doing it because there's actually opportunities where maybe you can get better behavioral outcomes and perhaps even save people money, you know? Like if you can, if insofar as you're, willing to accept user fees for things like transit or driving or other services, you know, you could make it cheaper to take transit during a certain time if that's when, you know, you want to spread out traffic and you things like that. transit money for that. Yeah. Investment. <laughs> but, sure, but then, you but, know, but well, maybe, maybe you don't because maybe you make it a little more expensive in the other time and, you know, depending on how it sort of balances out, right? Like, it would be interesting to see more sophisticated like revenue tools rather than sort of blanket, like we're going to charge this percent on things, we're going to charge this much more on beer, we're going to have charge this much on gas, you know, we're going to, whatever it is, right? But then to you have get that's uh, to certain city councillors being like, but now we're, our, our dumb Torontonians are going to be super confused and then they're going to get angry, which <laughs> happens a lot on, on stuff because politicians, you know, baseline assumption for uh, what people will do and understand is, is quite low compared to what it actually could be. And that's why we don't have things like ranked ballots is because certain city councillors um, thought that Torontonians would be too stupid to be able to understand oh, a ranked But do you ballot. actually believe that? Like, do no. you actually think? Yes. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> like, that's just a way for them to say no to something. Because you could sell, like, if we go back to these, like, sophisticated revenue tools. But they're tools. basing, they're basing, they're going on the record basing decisions on thinking that Torontonians are stupid. So whether they're using that as, like, an actual thing, or if that is just like a smoke screen for I re- did the math and I won't get elected on ranked ballots. Um, like we still have to address the fact that a lot of politicians, they just view Torontonians as like not not as smart as we actually are. But yet, like, I think you could sell these tools with all the buzzwords that they use for other things, right? Like, these tool, these revenue tools would be more efficient. They'd be more innovative. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, all these sorts oh, of jargon. Totally. So we could I just think, as easily do that. I think we that. should call uh, revenue tools the same way we, we name bills in all levels of government. <laughs> um, I was looking up at the uh, City of Toronto Act, and... The first few times it was passed, it was called the City of Toronto Act, the City of Toronto Act, the City of Toronto Act. The last time it was passed, it was the Stronger City of Toronto Act for the st- for a stronger Ontario. <laughs> like, it's much sexier that way. Uh, when really it was just another City of Toronto Act. 
So uh, kind of like, I guess, editorial in- interjection. Does that even make sense? I love it when guests offer the perfect segue. Yes. <laughs> like, I love when that happens. Because yeah. where I kind of wanted to end this discussion was about the City of Toronto Act and about sort of, you know, municipal, you can call them charters, I guess, but that's not really the accurate term, you know, across Canada. Because this is something that I, you know, Toronto is not unique in having. We just had a road tolls debate where we actually decided as a city that we would do it. And then our provincial overlords, for reasons that we won't get into, um, <laughs> decided to say no. And that's not, you know, I'm sure that happens at other levels of government. We're like, we're not a charter city like in the States where they actually have their own charters that they themselves have created autonomously. Yeah, I mean, we used to, we, Chris and Wong Tam, um, when Adam Vaughn was a city councillor and Josh Matlow, they were advocating for, you know, Toronto should be treated differently because it's actually bigger than some provinces in Canada. It doesn't make sense that the OMB comes down and like slams developments or sides on developer sides and everything when Toronto, you know, we have enough accountability and we have enough resources to actually be handling this ourselves. I, yeah, I mean, even more so just in the like, I guess considerably a lot of cities are treated somewhat differently because we are not governed by the Municipalities Act. We're governed by the Municipality of Toronto Act. But it's still, we can't change that. No matter what we do and decide as a city, we have no power to rewrite that document. So I'm just kind of curious, like, what do you guys think? Like, we've talked a bit about municipal autonomy in the past, but is it time, especially when we consider these revenue tools, because that's how they're implemented in a number of U.S. cities, which typically have more revenue tools than we do. Um, You know, is it time for charter cities, I guess, in Canada? Like, should we not have our own charter that we can alter? Are there arguments for, like, the other thing? Like, I, I, don't, I just wish I knew yeah. more about the history for, of this stuff. I, I don't, I, I'm not aware of any arguments for the status quo. And I will say, like, the longer I've followed city politics and looked at this kind of thing and the relationship between the province, I have become more and more of an advocate for, you know, getting the power as close down to the local level as you can. So... I am a big proponent of, you know, I wouldn't go as far as saying Toronto should be its own province, though maybe I will get mm-hmm. to that point where in a fit of rage, I just declare that as my... You're not helping our cross-country yeah. appeal. That's <laughs> like literally like... I know, that's like everyone's worst fear. I, I heard Toronto's the center of everything. So. Yeah, <laughs> I have also heard that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I would be in favor, I think, the idea that, you know, to actually decide, okay, here are the powers that Toronto should have 100% and, you know, put it in a charter, put that charter in a locked box, put that locked box in a safe and just don't allow anybody (coughs) to alter it forevermore because there are some things that are city responsibilities and should always be city responsibilities. Yeah. And I think uh, the other side of that, that sometimes people forget is it's not just like give Toronto so much power that they, you know, run over all of Canada, whatever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But by doing that, you also create a more accountable city because, you know, you can't have uh, city councillors, you know, being like, oh, yeah, I totally am with you, residents. I I disapprove of this development, knowing that the development is going to get overruled by the OMB and they're not actually losing anything. Mm-hmm. By strengthening, like, the powers that we have, you also, like, strengthen the accountability that we have and you strengthen our governing. So I'm very pro as well. Um, I think power just is scary to some people. Yeah. and you know, there there are other things at play. Well, and it's scary in the sense, I mean, we, you've talked about some behavior by city councillors over the past episode we've just done, and the idea of giving some of them more power is not something that I, I relish, but I think over the long term for the greater good, maybe people would elect better councillors if the councillors had more authority, more responsibility. Or maybe that's just a me being an optimist. And next week we'll talk if we all need strong mayors. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Great. So, um, I don't know. That's kind of a wrap. Uh, there's so much more to talk about this, and we will talk more about this because uh, Matt hasn't exhausted his reservoir of hypothetical scenarios. <laughs> Never. Um, but thanks. You know, thanks, Tara, for coming on the show. Thanks for telling us about the cow fart tax. That's going to be my favorite like, anecdote that that for a while. I'm glad that that was the takeaway yeah. out of all it, the things that, that I That might be the title of this episode. I'm, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> super happy that that's the knowledge that came away. Tara, where can people find you online? Um, at... T-E-R-R-A-L-O-I-R-E uh, on the Twitter, Instagrams, Facebooks, all those things. Nice. It's always the same across or the board. Or you'll be advocating for revenue tools. Oh, that's like best practices for social. That's like great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't even realize that as a community manager. <laughs> so thanks but again thank for coming. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for having me on here as well. Sorry. Oh, this is getting so awkward. Yeah, you just, really brought just, us down. Just man. cut the mic, Ryan. Cut it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was Tara Gillespie. Uh, she's kind of a, a frequent commentator on city politics in the city. Uh, she's a community manager and uh, was the former creative director for Women in Toronto Politics, uh, Witopoli, uh, as some call it. So now we've got uh, some important thumb work to do. So are your thumbs warmed up and ready to go, Matt? They are ready to go. I'm excited. They're primed. So, Luke, I am giving a thumbs up up this week because I am trying to be more optimistic like you, Mr. Simcoe. Uh, I'm giving a thumbs up to Montreal where they just announced that there's going to be a pilot project on heated sidewalks on a street downtown. It's a plan that was announced in 2015. Uh, It involves what they call a garden hose-sized tubes that will go underneath the pavement. Uh, So these will warm up the sidewalks, and when it gets cold, which it often does in Montreal, uh, the sidewalks will not get so icy and treacherous and terrible. And I really like stuff like this. I know it's probably not cheap, but at the same time, I remember talking to a neighbor uh, a couple of years ago when it was a very icy winter, and she was older and had some uh, disabilities, and she was saying she felt like a prisoner in her own house because the sidewalks were so terrible and so icy and so dangerous. So the idea that cities are looking at things like this to make things a little bit better and a little bit more accessible, I got to give a big thumbs up to that. I just love that it's a pilot project. That's been my like jam lately. I, I don't even care. Like, yeah. maybe it's like a dumb idea and it's silly or whatever. But if it's a pilot project, I'm like 100% on board. I just want pilot projects everywhere. Yeah. Like, what do care. we have to lose? Just yeah, try it yeah. out. Like, I, just, I just want, yeah, the city should just be a giant R&D lab, uh, the more <laughs> I think about it. And yeah, I, I, that's great. Uh, well, I'm going to counter your newfound optimism uh, with some pessimism and give a big thumbs down uh, to Toronto. The city I call home. Uh, In its ongoing quest to fill the gaping hole in its own budget, how relevant given the topic that we discussed today, uh, the city is musing about dramatically increasing fees uh, that it charges to businesses who operate patios. Nothing's been finalized. There's already word that some of this is getting backtracked, but the proposal's sort of been labeled like an outrageous cash grab. Some people have heralded it as the death knell of small restaurants, and one person declared it a wholesale war on fun. (laughs) So uh, I I agree that businesses shouldn't just be able to encroach on the public realm and profit off that encroachment without giving something back. So I'm all for, you know, patio fees. That seems reasonable. Uh, But given that we've just talked about all these tools to raise money that don't create a war on fun, maybe this is just like a bad idea, right? Um, 
you know, we should find revenue tools that don't make it harder for us to enjoy cold beer on a hot summer day on a patio in a city, you know, in Canada where outside time in that warm weather is a premium and is worth having. So I don't know. I just think this is kind of a dumb idea. We should find policies and revenue tools, in fact, that encourage vibrant outdoor life, not put a damper on it. So big thumbs down. I agree with that. And thankfully, it does look like this is something that's going to be pretty flatly rejected by the politicians in the city. So we've been hard on a lot of you city councillors in this episode. But if you do write by us on this one, we'll like you a little bit more. You get a pass on the next <laughs> you one. You get a pass on the next one. That's right. So thanks for listening to Metropolis. That was our episode this week. You can find all our past episodes on SoundCloud and at Metro news.ca. Metro News is also where we post our show notes every week, which include links and photos, uh, especially some fun photos this week. So stay tuned for um, counselors and possibly Tara flipping the bird at people. <laughs> and uh, you can find us on Twitter at Metropolis Cast. We'll talk to you all next week. This has been a Metro podcast.